Please turn with me, turn with me to Psalm 87. Psalm 87. We're spending the next few weeks uh, looking at various psalms. Once we're a couple weeks into November, we'll be doing a four-part series on the book of Ruth. And then our Advent series in December will be on Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And we'll be off into the new year. And so we are looking, as we did last week, at a psalm, another psalm this week, Psalm 87. If you would have attended the church, uh, a church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, when I was a teenager, you would have seen a young man bored out of his mind, uh, sleeping through the service, rude to everyone who greeted him, and immediately after the service, going to the car and waiting in the car for an hour or so until my parents were ready to leave. My dad was the pastor. One of the ways that God has radically changed my life is how I view the church. And in Psalm 87, we are introduced to the glorious church of Christ. Psalm 87 was sung by the sons of Korah. It is one of the great songs of Zion. Psalm 87, let's look at this together. This is God's holy and authoritative word. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. May God bless the preaching of his word. Author Megan Hill wrote a book on the church. It's called A Place to Belong, Learning to Love the Local Church. And she says this, Around the corner from where I live, a house is for sale. In bold green letters, the lawn sign reads, I'm gorgeous inside. The message is surprising. From the street, the house is thoroughly ordinary, even run down. It's a 70s-era raised ranch with dingy white vinyl siding and a location on a busy road. The roof looks like it lacks the necessary resolve to bear the weight of another winter's snowfall. The circular driveway loops around a weedy patch of grass, obviously intended for a fountain, but more likely currently concealing ticks. The bushes are too big, the windows are too small, and the backyard is non-existent. But the sign encourages me to believe there is something more beautiful and more valuable about this seemingly ho-hum house than I can appreciate from the curb. And then she says, the local church is a little like that house. Yes, welcome to the church that in many ways appears ordinary and weak and unremarkable. 
We sing off-key. Most of us are not up on the latest fashions. There are no superstars present. Some have personalities that clash with each other. There are differing political and cultural views that can make it difficult to get along. I'm sure many of us have been hurt by someone in the church. I certainly have been. And I know some of you have been hurt and disappointed by me. We've got our share of weeds and ticks. We tempt each other and sin against each other in various ways. I feel like we should put all that on the website, you know? Welcome to Covenant Fellowship Church. (laughs) But like that sign in the yard, I'm gorgeous inside, there is more than meets the eye. Because Scripture presents the church as a glorious bride. Scripture presents the church of Christ as the body of Christ. As a family that feels like home. The church is the flock of God that is led, first and foremost, not by any people, but by the chief shepherd himself, the Lord of the church. Scripture presents the church as a royal priesthood and a holy nation, the pillar and buttress of the truth, the temple of the Spirit where God uniquely dwells, the center of God's plan for the world until Christ returns. This is the church of Christ. And so often the local church feels ordinary and unremarkable, anything but glorious. And today God wants us to know And to see his church with new eyes. He wants us to delight in the church. We need to allow God's perspective of the church to shape our view and our experience of the church. And friends, we should think about belonging to the church as one of the richest joys and greatest privileges in our lives. We often see that the psalmist talk about Zion, which was the city of David and God's dwelling place. You study biblical theology from the Old Testament to the New, and you see that Zion is fulfilled in several ways in the New Testament. Uh, Zion is fulfilled in Christ himself. There is fulfillment in heaven, and there is fulfillment in the New Testament church. Hebrews 12.22 tells Christians that when they gather, they have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And so it is entirely appropriate and even necessary to read Psalm 87 with the church in view. Derek Kidner makes a comment on this in Psalm 87, uh, commenting on this psalm. He says, since the psalm will make it clear that Zion gives its name to a community, not only a place, The relevance of this to the church is direct. So the relevance of Zion to the church is direct. We as Christians are numbered among the members of Zion City. And we read this psalm with the church in view. One of the implications of this, as you are reading the psalms and studying the psalms, we should learn from the book of Psalms and from the psalmist's passion for Zion to love the church, and to love the people of God. This psalm should stir 
Our hearts should awaken new affections for the people of God. We can hear the people of God singing glorious things, verse 3, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. We look to the church, we look to Zion and say glorious things of you are spoken. And yes, there will always be those who delight in slandering and criticizing the church. There are some who view the church as a punching bag and blame the church for all of their problems in life. But here, the church, we are told, will be spoken of in majestic words. Glorious things will be eternally spoken of her. And the fact that glorious things are spoken of the church is an invitation for us to reflect on the excellencies of the church. Now, consider this as well. What we have in Psalm 87 is a statement of the glory of the church, the glory of the people of God, despite all appearances. This psalm was first sung when the people of God did not appear especially glorious. The context of book three of the psalms is during the exile or just after. You can see Babylon is mentioned in verse four as an enemy. Meaning, here's the the thing. The people of God sung this song of the glory of Zion at a time that it appeared anything but glorious. Christopher Ashe says, Believers sang this song for perhaps four or five centuries without any sign that it was true. And then, quite suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye in historical terms, Zion began to be visibly glorious. What happened? What accounted for that change? Christ came into the world. And Christ, with his appearing, with his coming, died for the church, and at Pentecost poured out his spirit upon the church, and thereby beautified the church, and made her glorious like never before. John Calvin says, it is impossible to express in language adequate to the subject the glory with which Christ beautified his church by his advent. And Dustin Benge, in his delightful book, The Loveliest Place, The Beauty and Glory of the Church. Dustin Benge says, Since Christ's ascension to the right hand of the majesty on high, there is now no more brilliant exemplification of God's perfect beauty in this world than His church. There is now no more brilliant exemplification of God's perfect beauty in all of the world than in his church. And so the the psalmists were speaking, yes, of their own experience in part, but also and even primarily speaking prophetically of the future of our experience. They sang of the glory that would come to the church with the arrival of Jesus Christ. What is true of Jerusalem is even more true of the new covenant church. Glorious things of you are spoken. Verse 2 describes God's eagerness to bless the people gathered at Zion, more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Do you know what is the greatest means of grace? The particular channels and means through which God gives His grace and, and blesses us. 
Do you know what, what is the greatest means of grace in the Christian life and is the most important discipline in the Christian life for your spiritual survival and growth? Here's what it is. It's leaving your house and gathering on the Lord's Day to be reminded of what Christ has done for sinners and to encounter God's presence among His people and to experience the Word and prayer and fellowship. Many means of grace, many disciplines are important, but none rivals gathering with the redeemed. Commenting on verse 2, Charles Spurgeon says, God delights in the prayers and praises of Christian families and individuals, but he has a special eye to the assemblies of the faithful. And he has a special delight in their devotions as a church capacity. This should lead each separate believer to identify himself with the church of God. Where the Lord reveals his love the most, there should each believer most delight to be found. Our own dwellings are very dear to us, but we must not prefer them to the assemblies of the saints. The more we study the heart of God, and the more we understand the teaching of Scripture, the greater our love, the greater our passion for the church will be. We will be found among those who are speaking glorious things of the church. And here are Three things that the psalmist in Psalm 87 teaches us to celebrate as we behold the beauty of Zion, as we behold the beauty of the church. First, the church is gloriously secure. We see this in verse 1. On the holy mount stands the city. He, God, has found it. A mountain is an image of stability and Brothers and sisters, in unstable times, in times of uncertainty, in times of great shaking and cultural change, this is a glorious comfort to our souls. God founded Zion. God loves Zion. Christ loved us and gave himself for us upon the cross. And the church is founded upon the unchanging nature of God, and the unchanging love of God for His people. That means that the church is gloriously secure. Verse 5 says, The Most High Himself will establish her. God will not abandon His people. Christ has promised that He Himself will build His church. The Spirit of God is present with His people to establish us, to make us immovable. America is not nearly as secure as Zion. I've heard Mark Devers say this, and I've shared it with you before. He says, before and after America, and you can put any nation in there, before and after America, there was and will be the church. The nation is an experiment. The church is a certainty. And there are so many Christians, you see, who get so... What they're most animated about, what they care about the most, is the direction of our culture and the direction of our nation. If you study the scriptures and align your heart with scriptures, you will not be found among them. You will, you will align your passions with the church first and foremost. You'll care about the direction and the health of the church. The church is a certainty 
because the foundations of this city rest on the love of God and on His eternal and invincible decree. Where in this world can we have true and lasting security? Where can we have something that will not move? Where can we have a kingdom that will not be shaken? Answer, the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Christopher Ashe in his commentary also says this, the church of Christ, Zion, owns its unshakable stability to the unchanging covenant love of God for its king, Jesus Christ, and therefore for all of its people. It is not secure because its people are strong or impressive. For we are, for the most part, neither. Neither strong nor impressive. No, our security as the church of Christ rests not on our goodness, our morality, our power, or our skill, but entirely upon the unmerited loving promise of God to us in Jesus Christ. This is why we are secure. And you see, again, every part of this psalm is gloriously fulfilled in the New Testament and in the book of Acts in particular. We see the glorious stability of the church in the book of Acts as she experiences opposition from within and from without and hindrances of every kind. There are leadership failures. There is persecution. There is imprisonment. There is sin and suffering of many kinds. And through it all, what's the church doing? The church remains stable. The church continues to expand. One of my favorite attributes of the church from a systematic theology standpoint is the, the doctrine of the indestructibility of the church. The church is indestructible. And the indestructibility of the church can only be explained by the fact that God has founded and established the church and that Christ promises to triumph over every enemy. And so it is well that the hymn says, The church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale, against both foe and traitor she ever shall prevail. The church is gloriously secure. Point two, the church is gloriously diverse. The glory of Zion is the diversity of its inhabitants. And I commend to you a biblical study of ethnicity and ethnic diversity. And this psalm, along with many other passages, would need to be a part of that study of this prominent biblical theme. Verses 4 through 6 calls attention to the fact that all manner of people will be born in Zion. It's mentioned three times that they are born there. How do they come to belong to this community? How do they enter this community? Not by their good works, not by their nationality or ethnicity, but by the new birth, by the miracle of regeneration. And what a gloriously diverse community we see presented in this psalm. Even Israel's greatest enemies become citizens of Zion. Enemies like Egypt, Rahab is another name for Egypt, and Babylon, we're told, will be there. 
those who mistreated and opposed the people of God. Tyre, known for its wealth, would be there. Cushites, with their even darker skin and different culture, would be there. And we should rejoice in the fact that people from all over the world belong to the church of Jesus Christ. He is redeeming a people from every tribe and every tongue and people and nation. And covenant fellowship is a testimony to that glorious truth. I mean, we had our gospel praise team this morning singing, I stand in all of you in Spanish. Glorious. And we rejoice in the multi-ethnic, multinational gathering of the church of Jesus Christ. The church is gloriously diverse. Now let me add a parenthetical caution here. Please don't misunderstand because culturally you can hear a lot of talk about diversity and what the culture talks about is entirely secular and often when it talks about diversity it has entirely gone off the rails. When the Bible celebrates diversity, and it does, and some of you have been so influenced by the world that the moment we start to talk about diversity from a biblical perspective, you think we've been influenced by the world. But the problem is, in fact, that you, in your understanding of diversity, have been more influenced by the culture than you have the Word of God. And you fail to distinguish between a biblical worldview and a secular worldview as it relates to the teaching on diversity. When the Bible celebrates diversity, it is radically different from how our culture talks about it. This is a diversity that exists within a broader unity. God's design for the church is not to glorify diversity. His design is to display unity in diversity in the body of Christ for the glory of God. The basis of our unity... The basis of our unity is not, as you have with the world, appreciating diversity. The basis of our unity is Christ and His finished work. The great need of humanity is not to affirm all differences as valid personal preferences. Our greatest need is the salvation that comes through Christ alone who tore down every dividing wall of hostility and has made us one new man in Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of a diverse people united in Christ. And I'm telling you, sometimes I look around this church family and I marvel that God has brought us together. There are boundaries of age and gender that have been torn down. There are dividing walls of socioeconomic status of ethnicity, of politics, of social ability, of cultural background, dividing walls that have been torn down in Christ, and God has worked a gospel-centered unity in the church, in those very places that the world around us is most divided. And it is a witness, this this Christ-exalting diversity testifies gloriously to the power of the gospel and gives the watching world a preview of heaven and what is to come. This this glorious diversity is seen fulfilled in the book of Acts. In Acts 2, we're told that there were in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They were there from Asia. They were there from Africa. They were there from Europe hearing the gospel 
in their own language. You can see this ethnic diversity in the early church in Jerusalem, which in fact it was that ethnic diversity that contributed to the challenges that they faced in Acts chapter 6. You can see it as the gospel goes to Samaria and to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. You see the gospel in Acts chapters 10 and 11 tearing down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, triumphing over ethnic prejudice and racism. In Acts 13 verse 1, it calls attention to the ethnic diversity of the leadership of the church in Antioch, and that Christ-exalting diversity is something that displays the reconciling power of the gospel and is indeed gloriously attractive. Psalm 87 celebrates this reality as one of the glorious things that is spoken of Zion. The church of Jesus Christ is gloriously diverse. Gloriously secure, gloriously diverse, and third, the church is gloriously satisfying. Verse 7 ends with great joy. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. It's a short verse, but we misread it if we don't hear it as a loud and noisy verse. Singers and dance. So there is singing, there is dancing, there is celebrating, there are many voices declaring of Zion, all my springs are in you. The fountains that refresh and give joy to my weary soul are found in the church. Which is exactly what the psalmist says elsewhere in Psalm 16 verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Who's your delight? The people of Zion, the people of God, they are my delight. The people of Zion are my joy. And oh, church family, how much joy do I have because of you? As I was greeting this morning, people are coming in. They ask me how I'm doing today. I say, I'm doing very well. The large part of that reason, there are lesser reasons that involve sports. (laughs) There is a greater reason that has to do with today I'm gathering with the people of God, in whom is all my delight to praise the name of Jesus Christ together. The church is gloriously satisfying. Here is where we rest from our striving. Here is where we enter into a community of grace. Here is where we receive from the Lord and where we rejoice in His great love. Here is where we treasure Christ and His salvation together. Here in the church is where we walk with one another where we forgive one another again and again and again. Here is where we commit to one another. Here is where we bear one another's burdens until Christ returns or calls us home. If you're not a Christian, come to Christ today. Repent of your sin and trust in Him. If you are a Christian, join as a committed member of a local church. If you've been discouraged or disappointed in the church, make 87 your song. Study the church biblically. See it in all of its weaknesses and imperfections and all of its glory as God intends it to be. And if you are a member of the church, love and delight in the church despite all her present imperfections and weeds. 
rejoice in the people of God. Gather with joy week after week. Celebrate all that God has done in redeeming a people for himself. God's desire for our lives is that here in the church, our lives find their purpose and their meaning. I'm going to quote Christopher Ashe one more time. He says this in his treatment of this psalm. He says, everything that makes life worth living comes from membership of Zion. Everything. We do not sing that some of what rejoices our hearts, this is all of our springs are in you. We do not sing that some of what rejoices our hearts comes from what we may be proud of in this life, our nationality, our education, or career success, or family and that there is a little room at the end for a measure of joy that we find in belonging to the church of Christ. No, all the fountains that feed my life and give me joy come from being a member by new birth in the church of Jesus Christ. What a privilege. What a joy. There is no joy in all the world that compares to belonging to the church of Christ. Charles Spurgeon called the church the dearest place on earth. The church is God's delight, and so the church should be our delight as well. Let there be singing, let there be dancing in the house of the Lord. Let there be gathering with great joy and celebrating together as the people of God. Let the people of God joyfully declare all All our springs are in you. All of my joy is in God and his people. I'd like to invite the band to return and have all of you stand. Some of you may be here today finding yourself in need of security and stability in life. Some of you may come with heavy hearts because of life's circumstances. The reality is that everything else in this world will fade and change. Nations rise and nations fall. But we have a Savior who promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is faithful God has set his love upon us and God is with us. The church is beautiful because God is beautiful. The church is steadfast because God is steadfast. We delight in him and him alone. We delight to be joined with his people and we worship him forever. Let's sing praises to our God.